on the Talkback Show on the radio or whatever audio-visual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 40, created on February 1st, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin, along with me, Jeff in Minnesota, and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, gentlemen. Tonight, I'm going with Revolution Brewing Cafe Death Imperial Stout. Wow. I, I have been thinking a lot about England because of how Arsenal's doing this year. And so I'm having a Boddington uh, Pub Ale. And I made a Singapore Sling. Right. All right. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. The audio will also be available, just the audio available on Spotify as well. And you can search for us there on Green Bay Chat. Well, what do we have tonight? Of course, it's a recap of the NFC and AFC championship games. And as we look ahead to the big game coming up, uh, we have a guest tonight to represent Kansas City. And uh, we'll tie Kansas City a little bit into our history report before we wrap things up. But uh, let's go to the two big games that happened this weekend. We had the NFC championship and the AFC championship, the first one in the NFC, uh, a game that probably didn't turn out the way we expected it to. It got ugly and went downhill fast as the Philadelphia Eagles kind of literally walked all over the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 31 to seven, a game that I think we expected to be much closer. I think everybody did. Uh, but Jeff, what, uh, what did you like about that game? Well, uh, as always have your fifth string quarterback at the ready. I think that's, <laughs> you know, all NFL teams are now put on notice. No, it was, right. it was weird, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's the way that San Francisco season has gone and they've been able to overcome everything. But I, I know you get to a point where it's just like, yeah, you just, you can't compete. You know, it, it's just, I would, although I kind of wanted to see Christian McCaffrey in there as, as quarterback, like throwing he passes. One, he took the one, yeah, the one wildcat, but Neil, I think you're with me that seeing the San Francisco 49ers get humiliated on a public stage, we were absolutely <laughs> there for it. Absolutely. Although I wouldn't say that Philadelphia bathed themselves in glory either. I think the most remarkable statistic about this game is that there were only 433 yards of total offense in the game. 433. That's like, I don't know, one Matt Stafford game just by himself, seemingly. So, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's like we went back decades as far as the NFL is concerned. And although it ended up being a blowout, 31 to 7, I don't know how you score 31 points on so little offense. And, you know, we said it got out of hand early, but it was a close game until late in the second quarter. And if you're at halfway through the second quarter, San Francisco actually had an edge six first downs to five. Um, they had an edge 93 yards to 83 yards. So even though they were definitely shaky, they were still in this game and they were statistically on paper, the better team for a while. And then things completely changed You know, from that midpoint in the second quarter to the end of the first half, Philadelphia outdid San Francisco in first downs 10 to two um, from that midpoint in the second quarter until the end of the game, San Francisco only had 71 total yards of offense in the last two and a half quarters of the game. You know, it, it was, and you know, not having a quarterback obviously makes a difference. Quarterbacks actually matter in the NFL as it turns out, but by the same token, uh, Jalen hurts was not great either. And, uh, you know, you can say, well, it was that that really stout San Francisco defense, but Hertz statistics were pretty weak. 15 of 25, 121 yards. And you take away that catch that was not a catch. 
Hertz is under 100 yards of passing as well. So you sort of have two quarterbacks each under 100 yards of passing as far as the game is concerned. The, this, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to need better play from their quarterback if they're going to beat Kansas City in the Super Bowl. What about the Niners defense, though? That, that Niners defense should have been, I, I feel, stronger. And, and I wonder if that, that once the wheels fell off with the offense, did their, their morale just go down? Did they seem kind of, I don't know, disinterested to be out there? throughout I mean, the better part of the second half it, it looked like that and i think the penalty numbers state that as well i mean san francisco had 11 penalties for 81 yards in the game and that just was screaming out the frustration that they had as far as the game's game was concerned interestingly san francisco and philadelphia if you look at yards per play had very similar numbers 3.6 versus 3.8 yards per play it's just that philadelphia had 25 more plays than san francisco i don't know i came out of this game less impressed with Philadelphia than I was going into the game. I, I certainly thought Philadelphia had a chance of winning the Super Bowl. Obviously they have a great chance because they're one of only two teams remaining, but I feel <laughs> a lot better about Kansas city going to the Super Bowl now than I did prior to the San Francisco Philadelphia game. Certainly the knock against Philadelphia is just kind of the relative ease of their schedule. And then the quarterbacks that they had to face here in, in the finals. But first of all, they got the bye. You know, they earned that bye with their record. So they had a week off, then they just had to beat the Giants and then and, a, and then with Daniel Jones and then a broken down 49ers offense. So, yeah, I can see it being a little bit easy, but I think they earned it along the way as well. And, you know, they always say that the team, the healthiest teams are the ones that win in the postseason. And I think Philadelphia definitely has that going for them down the stretch. Yeah, they were able to overcome the Hurts injury, um, which – yeah. you know, cost him a little bit, but ultimately, you know, if he would have been out six, seven, eight games, this obviously would be a different team, but that wasn't the case. And so, yeah, they, they survived a, a couple of weeks without him. but yeah, it's, you're right. The, I sent out the the tweet during the game. I, I, I could read it. I'm not going to, cause it's just embarrassing. All the quarterbacks that Philadelphia has faced since their bye week. It's just, right. woo, pretty, uh, so yes, they've everything has kind of fallen in place for them. But you're right. Overall, the game you would have thought that it would have been a little more because it, it. It I think almost both teams seemed to I want to say give up, but certainly with the fighting and the just it just really got it devolved towards the end there. And I think Philadelphia at that point was just like, let's just get out of here. Let's take the W and move on. Go to the Super Bowl. So there's one part of the Philadelphia offense that did play well, and that is, as is done all year, their running game. So they did have 148 rushing yards in this game, something that's going to make those teams in the AFC side put to shame. And they certainly deserve congratulations for setting the new NFL record for touchdowns in a season, including postseason, with now 39 rushing touchdowns and counting, topping the 1962 Green Bay Packers at 37 and the 1924 Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, which was the precursor team to the Philadelphia Eagles with 38. Now, of course, they did it in more games, but um, to in the modern NFL that everything is supposed to be dependent on the passing game to be that dominant on the ground and to be this successful makes a statement. Not just dominant, but those two rushing touchdowns, Neil. I mean, we could have run through those. That the the the, the whole uh, on both of those uh, effectively untouched. Uh, you saw an offensive line doing its job and and working as a great unit. And you know, we talked about the offensive line with Cincinnati. Uh, certainly, we talked about it with Green Bay. You know, when things fall apart, they fall apart. And I think Philadelphia, again, being a healthy team, they've been strong up front as well. They have just enough pass 
you know, potential from, from Hertz. And obviously he can uh, throw the ball downfield, but whereas they, they are still two dimension or they, they still have both the run and the pass options. Whereas San Francisco, obviously they, they didn't have anybody to throw the ball downfield essentially. So when they became just a run only team, they couldn't do anything. Whereas Philadelphia continued just to run the ball, but every once in a while, you know, he said they throw that run option, um, play action, whatever it worked for them. And they were able to get just enough pass yards, but yeah, the running, I mean, look what they did against the Packers, right? <laughs> so it's, well, it, it, it got ugly. I mean, it got hard to watch. I would say yeah, once, it was, there was no flow to the game. Couldn't throw. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was no flow. There was just, they were so one dimensional. So yeah, I mean the, the Philadelphia defense, I mean, okay. I think they're going to run the ball. Oh, I think they're going to run the ball. I think they'll do it again. You know? So yeah, it was, it was historic. And the fact that, you know, it just, we saw a team that was completely broken down at the end. And not to take anything away from Philadelphia. Like I said, they had a great season. They earned the number one seed. You know, the one thing that we didn't pick, uh, there were four options of Super Bowl <laughs> opponents, and uh, we, the one we didn't pick, the two number ones emerging out of this is what we didn't choose. Uh, so Philadelphia, you know, they're there. And, and I think that there was a point in the season where we saw this team, what were they, 9-0 and to open the season? And uh, just said, wow, that, that is going to be the team to beat. And, you know, Green Bay even had a hard time with them, right? I mean, Jalen Hurts ran all over us. Uh, it'll be interesting to see a very mobile quarterback and a mobile quarterback in the Super Bowl up against each other. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So Philadelphia moves on to the Super Bowl. They are going to be facing the winner of the AFC championship game. Who was that? Well, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. They took on the Cincinnati Bengals. They won by a score of 23 to 20, a game that, uh, you know, we've been high on the Cincinnati Bengals for a while now. And I think they put up a good fight. It was a very exciting game came down to the wire and uh, the chiefs prevailed. Yeah. Kansas city prevailed despite Andy Reed and fundamentally Andy Reed tried to Andy Reed this game away. And I, it, this game is a game that should not have been as close as it was, but you had essentially all of the different characteristics of Andy Reed. As far as the game is concerned, you had bad challenges. You had an inability to convert on third and one. You had him forgetting that he can run the football. Um, all those, you know, taking a lead and then still throwing the ball relentlessly, not taking advantage of those opportunities. It was a, a game that should not have been as close as it was in the end. As much as we love Joe Burrow, as much as we think highly of this Cincinnati team, Kansas City was better and they made a number of mistakes along the way that did not take full advantage of their strength. So let's just look at this game starting from the beginning of the football game and look at what happened in the first quarter of this game. In the first quarter of the game, Cincinnati had a five play drive with a punt, a three and out that took them negative 14 yards. Kansas City had two long drives that brought them into field goal range and they only got two field goals to show for that. In the first quarter, Kansas City had 100 yards of offense to negative 10 yards of offense. Of course, you know, that is not going to last forever. Joe Burrow is a good quarterback, and he was able to bring that closer into the second quarter. You look at the numbers at halftime, and they're relatively close. So 10 first downs for each team, only one of five on third down for Kansas City, and that's really where the problems are. From a yardage perspective, though, it was 141 to 184. So yes, Cincinnati had a very good second quarter as far as moving the ball is concerned, but Kansas City still had a significant edge as far as the yards 
in the first half is concerned. They had an edge in passing yards. Um, they were tied for rushing yards at 19. I'll talk more about rushing yards later. In the second half, again, Kansas City was the better team based on first downs, based on yards, um, based on passing yards. They were a better team. Their defense was able to create turnovers as far as two interceptions of Joe Burrow, and it could have been three interceptions of Joe Burrow. Overall, just everything that you compare between those two players, between Burrow and Mahomes, the Mahomes numbers always look just a little bit better. Joe Burrow, as far as the game was concerned, 26 of 41, 270 yards. With those five sacks, it was a net of 5.2 yards per passing play. Mahomes, 29 of 43, so um, two more passes, three more completions, two touchdowns, no interceptions, three sacks that were only for 11 yards, 7.6 yards per attempt for Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City team. Kansas City was just that much better, and that ended up making the difference in the end of the game. Well, we had talked about this over the last few weeks, right, We when uh, with Cincinnati's offensive line, and it finally kind of came back and bit them. The, the surface obviously was fine. It wasn't snowing. So the, the Kansas City def uh, defensive line, and they just they had a field day. I mean, they really, really went after them. Burrow, you know, the statistics when, when Burrow is sacked more than four times, uh, his record's not very good. And he was not able to overcome the, the poorest offensive line. They couldn't run as successfully either. So they were relying more on him. He was still able to get the ball downfield, but he, oftentimes he was running for his life back there. It was, you know, harkening back to kind of how the games ended last year uh, for them, the last, the last couple. He just was under duress the whole time didn't look particularly comfortable still put the team pretty much on his back but the it was just too much the the score i think was probably closer than it should have been when you look at those statistics as well the five oh, yeah. sacks and the two interceptions now it was 13 to 6 at halftime the score is 13 to 6 with Kansas City in the lead and it didn't feel that close the way that the first half was played and then you open up the second half and and in that first 5 minutes uh, Cincinnati is able to score and tie the game. Now the score is 13 to 13 and it got a lot more interesting in the second half, but it just never felt like Cincinnati was ready to dominate the game. They did what they needed to do to stay in the game, but they just never felt like the dominating team. I really felt Kansas City was more dominating in this game. The numbers show what I think the just the eye test as well uh, that Kansas City you know, and, and this is their their third trip to the Super Bowl in four years. They are, they uh, have put something pretty decent on the field, uh, despite Andy Reid. They are uh, a, a very good, very dominant football team. Well, and certainly the crowd was huge in this game yeah. too. They were loud, and they really came. And I think that that was also obviously an edge for Kansas City at home. Well, we did yeah. not notice the Cincinnati fans as much in this game. Uh, they did have a good presence there, but uh, the the sea of red uh, just really took over. So, I mean, the, the other thing, though, is that Kansas City had a long stretch where they weren't able to get a first down at all, right? They said it's something like an hour of actual physical yeah. time between first downs, <laughs> and, you know, they didn't take advantage. So after Kansas City scored their touchdown in the second quarter to go up 13-3, Joe Burrow throws an interception three plays later and Kansas City goes three and out with incompletion, incompletion, incompletion. And then they punted from the Cincinnati 39 yard line. Um, and they did that again near the end of the game where they punted from the Cincinnati 
39 yard line. So two punts when you're just on the edge of field goal range. And in both of those drives where they did those punts, they essentially made no progress on first, second or third down. And part of the absence of progress is because they were reliant on one very specific thing happening. Patrick Mahomes getting the ball to somebody and that that consistency ended up being a problem that, you know, there are times when you just need five yards, five yards in either of those situations, take it from a fourth and 10 to a fourth and five, and then you're going to go kick the field goal in that situation. But Andy Reid going conservative under those circumstances. Well, not well, conservative. He just never ran the ball. Well, he, 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 yeah, he never ran the ball and then went <laughs> conservative after he couldn't do anything on the first three downs. Just don't understand how you can be in those situations with a team and an offense that's that good and not take advantage. And specifically after the, first uh, time when they did the punt from the Cincinnati 39, that's when Cincinnati drove and Joe Burrow drove 90 yards in two minutes and three seconds to score that field goal that made it a one score game at halftime. We've talked many times about running backs, about successful teams, winning teams, actually running the ball. So I know it irritates you when I say playoffs. So in this case, I could say running back or running, running the ball. Neil, tell us why it's important to run the damn ball. I mean, you you just look at what Kansas City had to do the week before in order to beat Jacksonville. They were a very successful running team, something I don't remember, 32, 34 rushes, 150-ish yards on the ground. What did they do against Cincinnati? They had excluding times that Patrick Mahomes ran because those were generally him trying to avoid getting sacked, 17 rushes, for 34 yards, excluding quarterback <laughs> rushes, 17 for 34, an average of two yards per attempt. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals did not do much better in this regard. In fact, they actually had fewer rushing attempts, exclu- excluding Joe Burrow's four rushes for 30 yards, which were really important at some key times. They had only 13 rushes for 41 yards. So if we took at the ratio of plays with the quarterback or passing plays to rushing, Kansas City had a 49 to 17 ratio, passing plays to running plays. Cincinnati actually was worse at 50 to 13 in that ratio. And it's actually even worse when I went back and and looked at how Kansas City utilized their running game. And something that I noticed for the Packers all year this year is that they seem to be unsuccessful running the ball when they would do it out of a shotgun, right? They do a shotgun, the plays become far too slow to develop. And If you look at what Kansas City did, thankfully ESPN actually tells you on their play-by-play which plays are in shotgun. For Kansas City, there were 59 total plays run out of the shotgun, 49 passes, 11 runs. They had eight plays that were not out of the shotgun. Six of those were runs. Two of them were passes on plays that were obvious passing downs, a second and 11 and a third and 10. Nobody expects that you're going to run in either of those situations. So essentially, What the Kansas City offense said, if they were lined up not in the shotgun, is that we are going to run the ball. The other thing, though, is you just look at how they were running the ball, and it's just the the vast majority of their runs were on first and 10. They just did very little other than first and 10 running plays. It just seemed like it was very predictable as far as when they were doing, and they actually sort of seemed like they were kind of half-assing it as far as trying to do things. I like making fun of Mike Sherman because I thought he was a terrible coach for the Packers. But one of the things that he did well was that U71 package that if you need to move the ball, you can get players in. And I think he used that far off far more often than he needed to, to the detriment of our passing game. But fundamentally you've got to have 
different sets of alignments of the players that are going to allow either the running game or the passing game to be successful on any given play. And the Kansas City runs, I mean, the total number of runs that were on first and 10, 11 of the runs were on first and 10, nine of them were out of the shotgun. Um, you've got nobody else back there to, to block. It's something that's going to be more difficult to move the ball. I'm sorry, those Kansas City linemen are professionals. They are capable of playing well as an offensive unit, but they need game plans that are going to actually allow the players to have a chance at success. And that's game planning when you have an only two yard per attempt average. It's not because those linemen are bad linemen. It's because they've been given bad plays and they've got bad setups for the running game to succeed. Well, conversely, then Philadelphia, right, as I kind of mentioned before, and the success that they have had because you know, even though you they've been successful, you know they're probably going to run, but they're still able to do that. But throwing enough passing to keep the the other to keep the defense off balance to obviously their great success. The other thing that I should say, as far as rushing, is when Andy Reid was sort of committed to a run, he had two third and one plays in which he ran the ball. Both of those third and ones that he ran the ball, he got the first down on, which was unusual because they didn't do so well throughout the the season on that, which is so bizarre. Well, it's, it's also noteworthy that neither of those was out of the shotgun, however. Well, we will save our full analysis for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57 between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs for next week. We'll match those teams up and tell you what we think is going to happen in the Super Bowl. Uh, before we get to that, we want to talk about what's going on or what had been going on in Kansas City. And we will bring in our guest. With us is Charles Robinson. He is from Kansas City, or at least he's in Kansas City right now. He is a blogger for what is called Arrowhead Addict. And he is going to talk to us about the Kansas City Chiefs. But first, Charles, say hello and tell us what you're drinking. How's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Uh, I actually am going to uh, shamelessly plug a beer that is uh, a sponsor of our Arrowhead Attic podcast. Go for it. KC uh, Beer Company uh, put together a uh, a custom brew for Arrowhead Attic. It's called the uh, Arrow Red Lager. It's an absolutely delectable uh, Nuremberg style red lager uh, in Germany, known as a a root beer. So uh, I'm sipping on one of those and uh, uh, living the good life, heading to a third Super Bowl in four years. So all right, sounds excellent. Now you are you are currently a blogger for Arrowhead Attic. Well, tell us about Arrowhead Attic then. Like, where do we find this? Uh, there's, there's, sounds like blogging and podcasts. Sure. So the the podcast hosted by uh, Sterling Holmes, Adam Best, uh, Patrick Allen, uh, our editor at Arrowhead Attic, the blog, Matt Connor, and uh, Matt Verderam, who is a national NFL columnist for uh, Fansided. They host the podcast. You can find it anywhere that you digest your podcasts at on uh, Spotify, Apple, pretty much any podcast platform um you can find the arrowhead attic podcast and then the blogs arrowheadaddict.com we have a stable of extremely talented writers there it's a great culture and a great group to be around the slack chats in there during games where we're all kind of riffing and either losing our minds in a good way or losing our minds in a bad way about things that are going on during games it's a lot of fun it's a lot of great minds that are kind of collaborating together and and doing their own thing at the same time and it's an awesome uh, awesome place to be no, with that, let's talk about this past Sunday. Neil Neil threw a quote out. You didn't you didn't catch the first part of the segment, but Neil said that uh, Andy Reid tried to Andy Reid this game. <laughs> where where during the day on Sunday did you get that sentiment amongst your your chat group? 
Uh, about the time that we had one timeout left with like six minutes to go in the first quarter, I'm thinking, well, uh, what, what exactly is happening here? You know, I, sometimes even with this, the success the chiefs have had over the past five years, which has been, you know, I was just telling my wife this, this weekend, you know, as, as a concession to being completely dedicated to a football game on Sunday, you know, I got myself into a Trader Joe's trip on Saturday with my wife, which is fine. I told her like, you know, we, we've got to kind of sit back and have some perspective here because not everybody gets to experience a run like the Chiefs are on right now. And not every city, not every fan base gets to, you know, to soak this in. Like, you know, you guys as Packer fans, consistent excellence. I mean, you guys are in it every single year. Are the Chiefs up until, you know, the Andy Reid era, we weren't really competitive for a long time. And now, especially in the Patrick Mahomes years, it's it's just kicked up another notch. In Go 14 ahead, seasons, though, in 14 seasons, he's brought you to the playoffs nearly every one of those seasons, hasn't he? Yeah. So 10, ten years. This was the 10th year, 10 year anniversary of Andy Reid in Kansas City. And we've gone oh, yeah. to the playoffs all but all but one. So, okay. I mean, it's it's been it's been an unprecedented run of success for the Chiefs. I mean, the best stretch in Chiefs history. But you still have those little bitty quirks that you're like, man, we're still the Chiefs sometimes, you know, like you still you still think about. <laughs> You still think about like I have, you know, I wake up in cold sweats thinking about Matt Castle and Brody Croyle being our two best quarterbacks. <laughs> I think about Lynn Elliott, think about things like that. So it's well, uh, you did, you know, Kansas City also went through a stretch. I think this might be a little bit before your time. I mean, we grew up through some bad teams, Packers teams in the seventies and eighties, but uh, in those two decades, I think Kansas City only went to one postseason in the seventies and one in the eighties after oh, Super yeah. Bowl four. So, so the folks in Kansas City had. A rough stretch there as well starved i mean you go 50 years between super bowl wins you uh you develop right. a little bit of a complex i think i my favorite kansas city era was uh you know the joe montana era just mm -hmm. because i liked joe montana what happened there how did <laughs> how, how did how did people in kansas city, well first of all i guess here's what i'm curious about uh you know joe namath is all ready to give number 12 to aaron Rodgers to wear where was Len Dawson when uh, Joe came into town? Why wasn't he pulling 16 out of the rafters and letting Joe wear it? <laughs> oh, Lenny, rest in peace to a legend. Yes. Uh, he, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly why, uh, why Lenny didn't give him that concession, but uh, the Joe Montana years were fantastic. But I, I wrote a blog earlier this season when we were getting ready to, uh, to uh, play the 49ers in the regular season. And uh, I called it the Alex Smith parallax where like the fate of the two franchises from a quarterback perspective, the 49ers and the chiefs flipped when Alex Smith came to Kansas city, because the 49ers in the early nineties, you know, when they traded Joe Montana to Kansas city, sure. Kansas city had some success, but San Francisco went on to win another super bowl with Steve young, where Kansas city just being ridiculously mismanaged at the time was like, Oh, you know what? Actually, maybe, uh, maybe Elvis Gerback will be a better option here, you know, like, or maybe Steve Bono will be better. And then when we get to the rich Gannon years and it's like, well, nope, we're going to run rich Gannon out of town too. And we kind of go through this quarterback carousel of mediocrity year after year after year with already ran quarterbacks from franchises that have more success than Kansas city. And then along comes Alex Smith from San Fran who thought that Colin Kaepernick was going to be the better option. Well, you know, Kaepernick did take them to a Super Bowl on a season that Alex Smith started off really hot. But when Smith got hurt, Kaepernick got hot. 
They traded Alex Smith, and then all of a sudden Kansas City starts to go this way, and San Fran just kind of stays here. And they've had a couple NFC Championship appearances, Super Bowl appearance that turned out really well for us. But the you know the fortune of the two franchises, I feel like really flipped when uh, when Alex Smith came to a uh, KC, and then you know the rest is history. Well, now yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Tell me what everybody. How did everybody feel when first when Mahomes was drafted? And how maybe has that evolved since then? Here's a funny story for you about the the night Patrick Mahomes got drafted. So I was at my company's annual sales conference. We were in San Diego and we're going into our, uh, to our awards banquet. So I'm watching the draft on my phone at a table, wearing a suit and tie, just like, like sweating. My legs won't stop moving. I'm like, okay, okay. Then the news comes up. It's like Kansas city trades up to number 10. And I'm like, oh man. Deshaun Watson's still on the board. Reuben Foster's still on the board. We needed a linebacker. I'm like, Reuben Foster, let's take Reuben Foster. And it's like, they take Patrick Mahomes from Texas Tech. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We get a big 12 gimmick quarterback? Like, are you, you're, you gotta be shitting me right now. And I'm texting my best friends, like my group chat, my chief's group chat. And one of the guys is like, I don't know, man, this kid's got some raw ability. And if Andy Reid thinks he's going to work, then I got to trust Andy Reid. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is an absolute bullshit pick. <laughs> oh, well, boy, I couldn't, have been, I, <laughs> I couldn't have been more wrong. And, Whoops. You know, that, that, that first preseason game he played in uh, against Atlanta, he threw like a 69-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill. And I'm like, eh, maybe. And then that last rec- <laughs> that last regular season game against Denver is rookie year that he started because the Chiefs had everything wrapped up playoff wise. It's like okay, well this kid might be something. And then shit, 2018 wins the MVP. You know we go to the AFC Championship and lose in overtime to Tom Brady. You know, and then the rest is obviously has been fantastic. But I will hand up. I was so wrong on that draft pick, but I think Kansas city as a whole, I think a lot of people were optimistic about it. And I think a lot of people were very skeptical of it, but you know, that, that's it. We're in the show me state, man. Show me. And he he's, yeah. he's shown us. So it, it worked out pretty well. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would say it's going pretty good. Yeah. So outside of, of your great playoff success here, Charles, um, I think that Kansas city is also known for great tailgating. And that's something that, that we take pride in up in green Bay as well. Now you said that you are, tell me about this three times. You've been the tailgater of the week. How did three you time. do that? Three right. time tail, three times tailgating. It's a, it's a team effort. I mean, it's, okay. it's, I couldn't do it without my, uh, without my tailgating teammates, but yeah. So a local grocery store chain here, Hy-Vee, um, shout out to Hy-Vee, best grocery store in Kansas city. They go around the parking lot every week and they look for, basically who's got a good spread who's got a good setup as far as tents go who's playing music who's having a great time who just looks like they are embodying the arrowhead spirit right and uh we've three times we've our group has won it we won it 2018 a thursday night game against the chargers it was like 10 degrees outside we had a big fire pit going um double tents up it was uh, great spread we won it uh the home opener in 2021 against cleveland and then we actually just won it last weekend at the uh at the afc championship against cincinnati so i i have to say i wasn't at the game last weekend so i can't take credit for that but uh the team the team carried on uh my legacy uh in my absence so so what's the signature there is it something in the food spread is it the music what is so, it that, that gets you guys truth, noticed? truth be told i think what the people at hy look for 
is a lot of high V brand like chips and sides and things like that. So you I mean, go generic, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to put an asterisk on our vis- on our victories, but we j- we we always have a we always have a fantastic spread. So I mean, we'll do anything from in noon games. We we get there at six thirty in the morning because gates open at seven, so we'll get there thirty minutes early so we can get in line and get our spot. We'll do anything from like breakfast tacos to obviously classic burgers, burgers, dogs, and brats. We'll have stuff on the smokers the night before. So bring like brisket and pulled pork and ribs and all that stuff. I mean, you got to be hungry. Yeah, man. (laughs) You're in Kansas city. You got to do barbecue and you got to do it right because there's so there's such a high standard set in that parking lot that if your barbecue isn't top notch, you're not getting noticed. Like you can't show up with, with brisket that doesn't have a perfect smoke ring on it and expect to, you know, get any type of recognition. So, what, so what's the, what's the area around the stadium? Like, you know, parking lots and, and what, what do you have around there? Tell us what it's like. It's all parking lots. I mean, the whole area yeah. is basically just the sports complex. Cause you have, you have Arrowhead and Kaufman stadium where the Royals okay. play right in the same, in the same parking lot. So, and there's really not much around the stadiums as far as the city goes. It's, it's nestled up next to one of the suburbs called Raymore, which is kind of rough in some spots. But I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, you're not close to downtown. You're probably 15 minutes from downtown on I-70. And then you're about 15 minutes from um, the Kansas suburbs, like Overland Park, Olathe, which are some of the more, you know, populated suburbs. You're pretty much, if you're going out there, you're, you're going to a game. So I want to get back to that barbecue, Kansas city, obviously a town known for its barbecue and you've made mm-hmm. me hungry all over again. So <laughs> what is your uh, top three of Kansas city barbecue places? I happen to have been in Kansas city a couple Dude. of years ago for a few days and got to enjoy a number of places as well as going to the world war one museum in Kansas city. So what's your top three Kansas city barbecue places? This is the toughest question you can ask anybody in Kansas city. You got two, you got two kinds of people that are going to answer this question. You got the people who are like Kansas city barbecue hipsters who are going to tell you like hole in the wall places are better than anything. And I mean, some of, some of them are like, some of them are really good, but I mean, you can't go wrong. If someone's coming to KC for the first time, you can't go wrong. And I can't give these like a one, two, three. I'm just going to give like three of the top picks. Q39 is phenomenal. Um, there's a Q39 in Midtown, close to like the Plaza area. And there's one in Overland Park. And I think there may be one more now. Um, Joe's KC, which used to be Oklahoma Joe's, but I guess the co-owners like split up and now it's Joe's KC is fantastic they've got probably the best signature item which is the z-man which is a uh, brisket sandwich with uh cheese and an onion ring on top it's incredible man the third one that's this is tough we're splitting hairs you, here, you, can, but... you can go longer but i mean yeah, jack stack was the first one that it was recommended to me and i certainly have really enjoyed my time that i've spent at jack stack so. jack jack stack is i've got a jack stack like two blocks from my house but i never i never go there because i've had it so much i would say Number, you know, the third one, I would have to say probably Char Bar in Westport is pretty good. Char Bar is really good. It's it's more of like a, Char Bar is kind of an experience. Like you go there in the spring or the summer, they have a bunch of like yard games and stuff. Like you can play bags, you can play bocce ball, you can play all kinds of stuff there, but the food's incredible. And the, uh, the owner of Char Bar has actually branched out with, uh, with George Brett and they opened, they had a line of like rubs and barbecue sauces called Meat Mitch, but they've actually opened up a couple of restaurants here now too. And I really, I want to try that one too, because I've heard it's, it's really good. So I, I, I would say, I would say Q39, Joe's and Char Bar would be my three if I was directing anybody anywhere. Sounds excellent. 
I don't know. Like, I know this is more of a Canadian thing, but are you guys with the whole cheese curd aspect of it? Are you guys a fan of poutine? I, I, I like it. I, I like it. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, know, but it's, I'll, I'll, eat it, I'll eat it. I'll eat it. I'll eat it. If I'm in Montreal, but that's really it. Yeah. So. so Q39, the one that I mentioned first has what I think is the best appetizer of any barbecue restaurant in Kansas city. They have a burnt end poutine and it is unbelievable unbelievable don't get it to go you got to eat it there but it is it is unbelievable and so it's, it's not like a side it's like a meat well it's a side but it's probably like oh meal it's, size, it's, right? it's, it's huge. like a table size appetizer yeah i mean <laughs> you got more fries nice. than you could eat in a week and it's 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 awesome jeff is ready to accept that challenge jeff. i was gonna say yeah. Yeah. I'm the closest one. I can hop in a car and just, you know, I'm in Yeah, just just jog just jog down 35. You'll be here in a few hours. (laughs) Jeff, you said burnt in, not tight ends. You said burnt in. Oh, they're right. (laughs) Oh man. And I think I believe Q39 is Andy Reid's favorite in the town. Okay. (laughs) I guess the question is from the the Kansas City, you know, faithful, the longtime football fans. Green Bay, we're very blessed to get to say we were the champions of Super Bowl one and even Super Bowl two. But Kansas City was in that first Super Bowl. How did mm-hmm. they get there? And and what kind of stigma did this team carry with them losing that first Super Bowl? I think that's I think that's tough, man, because you know, you look back at the history of of Lamar Hunt in general, right? And you think about how, you know, the merger of the AFL and the NFL and the even the coining of the term Super Bowl, right? Like that that comes from Lamar Hunt and he's kind of the father of the modern NFL. So to to get to that first Super Bowl and have two historic franchises like the Chiefs and Packers meet and to walk away with a loss. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think that now with it firmly in the rear view with the Patrick Mahomes era ongoing, I don't think it's as big of a deal, but you know, like with Super Bowl four being our only win up until 2019, that Super Bowl one loss, it, it would have been a lot nicer to have two than just one up until that point. But now I think, you know, people are more focused on, on right now and in the next five years, the next 10 years, you know, th- things like that. So you get a, you get a franchise quarterback like Mahomes, you kind of start to not really focus on the past as much and just think about like the right now and in the future. So for me anyway, I mean, I'm sure there are probably some, some guys sitting around like, God, if we just would have got that one back. <laughs> we would got that Super Bowl one, damn it. You know, but I, uh, I wasn't even a glimmer in my dad's eye yet. So what about, what about winning that Lamar Hunt trophy? It's, uh, I, so I was at the game in 2000, well, the 2018 season, 2019 AFC championship when we, uh, we lost to Tom Brady and the Patriots <clears throat> and I took my dad and my brother and my best friend went with us as well. And when Charverius Ward picked off Tom Brady in the fourth quarter, before I saw the flag from D Ford being offsides. I grabbed my dad and I hugged him. I'm like, we're going to the Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. Like I couldn't, like I, I I was speechless. And then I saw the flag and I was crushed. I just fell down in my seat. I was like, oh my God, like more Chiefs playoff failures. What in the hell, you know? But then the next year I was also there when we beat the Titans. And I mean, because I, I, I remember vividly two years before that being at the game where Marcus Mariota threw a touchdown pass to himself. Chiefs were up 21 to three, ended up losing 22, 21. And me and one of my best friends who was at the game with me in 2019 in the parking lot are just dejected. Like, when is this, when is this going to end? So 
winning that and getting that over that hump in 2019 and winning it in Arrowhead with Clark Hunt holding the trophy that's named after his dad. I mean, I don't want to get too sappy because there's obviously a lot of Chiefs haters out there now, especially in in Cincinnati and Buffalo and Denver and Las Vegas and everywhere like that. But I mean, it's 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 incredible, and I mean it 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 means a lot. I mean, it's like you know, like you guys when you guys win a Super Bowl holding the Lombardi Trophy, it's it just it hits a little bit differently. You know, it's it's special because having that kind of history and not everybody has that. You know, it's not it's not common. They don't. The, there's no Al Davis trophy for a conference championship. You know, there's, it just, it's, it's, yeah. it's unique and it's special. And I think Kansas city, especially as a whole embraces it because outside of chiefs football and the Royals in 2015 and 1985, like there's not really a whole lot of national recognition going on in Kansas city, like pretty, you know, pretty good roots in jazz music, barbecue, obviously, there's a decent uh, mafia presence here, I guess. But outside of that, it's like, you know, we, we hang our hats on our on our sports teams and the Chiefs having success is, is really an identity for the city. It's bigger than just a game like Kansas City. I mean, this sweatshirt that I'm wearing is a local a local clothing brand called Charlie Hustle. And if the Chiefs if the Chiefs weren't a successful football team. Charlie Hustle isn't the brand that it is today in Kansas City. I mean, there's so much, you know, Kansas City doesn't get nearly the tourism and, you know, the businesses don't see as much revenue coming in the door if the Chiefs aren't successful and they're not hosting playoff games and hosting AFC championships. We're hosting the draft this year. We just got a World Cup bid for 2026. I mean, what the Chiefs are doing is kind of put Kansas City on the sports map, and it's a really cool thing to, to be here and experience. You described a lot of things that sounded like Green Bay as far as how yeah. much the town is dependent on the football team and especially how much the businesses in the town are dependent on whether we're playing in January or not. So staying with the Green Bay theme and Green Bay connections with Kansas City. So a lot of Packers fans were cheering for Kansas City when you won the Super Bowl because of our love of Andy Reid, because Andy Reid was an assistant on the Packers teams in the early 90s. Yeah. And so um, there, there's always been this sort of connection of, of Andy Reid and, and the Packers that, is, that has led us to follow his teams and, and wish him well in other places that he's been. And, and I, I feel quite confident that there are a lot of Packers fans still that are happy and hoping that Andy Reid's going to win another one in Kansas City. The other Packer that is connected is Marcus Valdez Scandling. So can mm -hmm. you uh, tell about how the adjustment to MVS has been for Kansas City fans? Obviously, he had a great game, and he had a better year than I think Packers fans were expecting him to have, and having Patrick Mahomes throwing to you helps a lot. But uh, give us your thoughts on MVS. So MVS has kind of been – I've been a little down on him throughout the course of the year because I thought he was going to be a little have a little more production than he had this season. But man, you couldn't pick a better time to step up and have a huge game. I mean, with 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 Juju out, with Tony out, with Miko Hardman out, Justin Watson was sick, so he he wasn't even active going into Sunday. I mean, it, it literally in the second half of the game, we had MVS Sky Moore, who's a rookie who's had issues with fumbling punts and and just general confidence issues that come along with being a rookie and being put in positions that he probably shouldn't have been on special teams this year and Marcus Kemp, who a lot of people aren't talking about this, but Marcus Kemp was only active on the roster on Sunday because we released Chris LeMans earlier in the week. 
because Chris Lamont's had that special teams role that Marcus Kemp was playing. And if we didn't release Chris Lamont's and the Bengals didn't claim him off waivers last week, which is kind of a dirty move, Kemp wouldn't even have been on the roster. So I don't even know if we would have been able to field enough wide receivers. We would have had to play three tight sets the entire second half, which we kind of did with Noah Gray and Jody Fortson and Travis Kelsey. But I mean, MVS was was huge. And the fact that he cooked Eli Apple so many times just made it so much sweeter because, man, I, I'm i telling you guys, like it, Broncos, Broncos and Raiders are right here. The Bengals are right here right now for Chiefs fans. I mean, as far as heated rivalries, like I don't like to use the word hatred because I would never wish anything like, uh, you know, I, you never wish any injuries on the players or anything bad for the fans or anything like that. But God, I can't stand those guys. <laughs> I cannot stand them right now. Well, I'm surprised that you put the Raiders and, and Bengals up there. You know, Tom Brady retired today, and I would think that between the, the AFC Championship game woes and the Super Bowl, when he goes over to the fucking Buccaneers, you guys yeah. have got to really just have had that's, it with Tom Brady. That Super Bowl, man, I, I, I chalked that Super Bowl up to just – we didn't have any starting tackles that game. That, their defense, Brady played good in that in that game, and that game sucked to watch. It was terrible. But if if Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher don't go down in that Buffalo game, then I think that's a different story that that season. But you know, you win some, you lose some. I do. I I don't. I don't like Tom Brady, but I think it's just the fact that he was a complete non-factor this year. The Bucks were a complete non-factor, which was and, awesome. Oh, it was so awesome! <laughs> and then we. And we whipped their ass in their home stadium <laughs> earlier in the regular season. It's like, okay, yeah. that that's that's over. You know, I, yeah. I I moved on from that one. It's the Bengals are kind of the flavor of the week. If you would have asked me last year, I probably would have said the Bills up until the Bengals beat us in the AFC championship. And even the Bills earlier this year. But I try to keep a positive mindset with with some of these other teams and quarterbacks, especially because Josh Allen's a lot of fun to watch. Joe Burrow's a lot of fun to watch. When they're not playing the Chiefs, it's like, okay, you know, these guys are great, but and I don't want to sound too cocky, but I mean, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes is special. And I, I just don't like the comparisons there because they are, I mean, they're all really, really good. But I think Mahomes kind of proved this year that without Tyreek Hill and a completely new wide receiver core still throws for 5,250 yards and going to win another MVP. It's I, it, it, thanks a lot for your guy Rogers screwing up a <laughs> consecutive MVP reign for uh, for Mahomes here, but we'll take we'll take two after this season. I guess. No, he's it, it's obvious that Mahomes, you know, it, it takes a while, and you know he's got to have some more games, but you know it just there's a lot of hyperbole, but you know he's he's kind of living up to it now that he's got you know more chance, you know, but another shot at a Super Bowl and things like that. I mean, if you know he wins the second Super Bowl suddenly that's getting him into more and more rarefied air. So that's, that's the thing. That's the thing that's going to drive me crazy. Cause if he wins the second Super Bowl, yeah, you start having conversations about where does he rank? Like among the greats, if he loses the Super Bowl, it's like, oh, Mahomes doesn't play very well in Super Bowls though. So uh, I mean, <laughs> is he's one and two at that point, And it's like, well, he got his ass kicked by the books and then the Eagles stomped him. Like, okay, whatever. I mean, well, here's, here's I a hope fun that fact. Happen. The winner of the Super Bowl will have more wins this season in State Farm Stadium than the Arizona Cardinals had this season. Yeah, yeah. Arizona only won yeah. one home game this year. Now, Kansas City, I think it was opening week, right? Kansas City went down there? Yep, yep, yep. Blew the All doors right. off of them in week one. All right, so here, here it comes. What's your prognostication for heading down to Glendale next week? It all, it all depends on, on – on how some of these injuries from the AFC championship game heal up. Cause 
if you look at the players that got injured in that game and the fact that we still beat the Bengals is remarkable because on the defensive side of the ball, Willie Gay went down, who Willie Gay is arguably our best linebacker. Nick Bolton's a tackling machine and is great against the run, but Willie Gay is that true sideline to sideline defender who is extremely versatile. He's our only linebacker that can really do anything in coverage. Freak athlete. Uh, Legereus Sneed went down, who's our best corner. You know, and on offense, obviously, we lost all those wide receivers. So if those guys are healthy and can play, and I think it's going to take getting one of either Nicole Hardman or Kadarius Tony back and then having, you know, hopefully, hopefully Juju Smith-Schuster can come back because between him and Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs offense really thrives the most when they can kind of take chunks out of the middle of the field in the passing game early, short to intermediate. And then that opens up, it gets the defense a little bit up in the box and opens up those deep shots to guys like MVS and Tony and even, you know, Kelsey and Jody Fortson and Noah Gray down the field, if they can get a seam, that's what allows the Chiefs offense to be explosive. If Juju's not there, then that kind of takes half of that threat away. And you can't, Travis Kelsey's unbelievable, but you can't just rely on on him against a team like Philadelphia, who's got athletes all over the field. Their pass rush is unbelievable. And the two teams that led the NFL in sacks squaring off against each other. So the quarterbacks could be in for an interesting uh interesting afternoon Long afternoon <laughs> yeah and that brings me to the biggest point which is how well does Patrick Mahomes ankle heal up because there were definitely times in that Bengals game where he was favoring it and it's a miracle that he was able to get off that last scramble where uh you know <laughs> Mr. Osai made the <laughs> uh the shove heard around the world on the sidelines but I if the Chiefs are healthy I think they're better in Philly and I think it's because they have a distinct advantage at quarterback and even if it's a tight game, if Kansas City gets the ball last, I think I, at this point I have all the faith in the world of Mahomes winning the game. And Harrison Bucker seems to kind of gotten rid gotten rid of his yips from uh, from this season. So I I want to lean towards the Chiefs winning, but I, it's all going to depend on their health. I mean, Philly, if the Chiefs don't have Snead, don't have Gay, don't have Juju, don't have Tony, don't have McCole Hardman, it could be a long day because Philly's really talented. And I mean, that offense can put up points in bunches in a hurry. So it's going to depend on how these guys come back off these injuries. All right. You got anything ready to go? Uh, blogging wise, what do we, uh, what can we find on Arrowhead Addict from me this week? What do you got uh, <laughs> that you're going to put together this week? I put together, I've actually just before I came on with you guys, I finished one. Uh, Cause you know, I've heard a lot of yapping from Cincinnati fans this week about how maybe when you shove a quarterback on the sideline, that shouldn't be a 15 yard penalty or, you know, how the refs are just, completely against the Bengals and the chiefs always get calls and all this stuff. So I'm putting together uh, a few um, proposed rule changes that the NFL should uh, okay. consider going into next season. Cause you know, it seems like every time the chiefs have success in the playoffs that, you know, these teams, I mean, the, the bills last year, the Bengals this year, we want, we want to change the rules and, and try to, uh, you know, make it a, make it a fairer game. Right. So uh, I've got a few suggestions of, of rules that could be changed to make sure that, uh, that, that the the playing field is leveled. And, you know, one of them, I, I think that it would be a really good idea for the NFL. Because, you know, the NFL is a business that really struggles with revenue. You know, they only they only pulled down $17.2 billion last year in revenue. So if they ever want to get to be a trillion-dollar organization, then they really need to consider neutral site AFC championship games uh, or AFC playoff games in general uh, that are either held in Cincinnati or Buffalo. Um 
there's a couple other that I'm going to throw out there on the blog. <laughs> I won't, I won't spoil, I won't All spoil right. it too much, but that'll be coming out at some point this week. And then obviously we'll have, we'll have different angles of the game all week from different writers, um, including, you know, next week, obviously too. I'm not going to write too much about the the flag football game that's happening this weekend. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh you know, I do think it's cool that, that Joe Burrow gets to go play dodgeball this weekend, though, because that'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> and and they wherever he's playing, they can call that Burrowhead Stadium as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it it is it in Hawaii still, or are they do it? They're doing it in yeah, Orlando I, now, or no? It's in they, Vegas. Ross, Ross it's in Vegas. Vegas? I think yeah, it's man, in Vegas, dude. isn't it? Allegiant Stadium is now Burrowhead. That's crazy. <laughs> that's also you know that's also home field for Mahomes, Allegiant Stadium. So I mean, that's Burrow can't get away from from a. Uh, Playing in a Chiefs home field. It's crazy. So last question that I have for you is, let's say um, the the Kansas City fans, they travel to Arizona. So Packer fans, when we see each other, it's go Pack go. Uh, this past weekend, you probably heard enough who days to last your lifetime. Neil loves the who day. What do Kansas City fans say to each other when they see each other? It, it, it's either a, how about those Chiefs? Or just a just a standard Chiefs, like you know, right. that's that's it. You just bellow Chiefs at each other, and that's that's our love language. You know, we we love each other. Sounds <clears throat> great. Well, we appreciate you joining us uh, again. Arrowhead Addict is the website. There's blogs. There's a podcast, and uh, you guys are getting ready for the big game. So we wish you the best of luck. We hope you have a great week and lots of success. And how about those Chiefs? Chiefs. Chiefs. <laughs> oh, man. This is, a, this is a blast, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming Absolutely. out. And with our guest, we alluded to that Super Bowl one, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. And here to tell us more about that history is Jeff with a bedtime story. So looking back at Chiefs Super Bowl history. So first, I'm, as, as Charles alluded to, so there's been four appearances by the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Of course, the inaugural Super Bowl 1966 season, where the Chiefs lost to Green Bay 35 to 10. They bounced back in Super Bowl IV for the 1969 season, where they faced the vaunted Minnesota Vikings. And it was Kansas City's first NFL championship in the Super Bowl era. They won 23 to 7. Then there was a little bit of a drought. Uh, 50 years to be exact. So the next time the Chiefs showed up in the Super Bowl was the 2019 season. That would be Super Bowl 54. And where they faced San Francisco and won 31 to 20. And then the 2022 season where they lost to Tampa, Super Bowl 55, where it was 31 to 9. Looking back on that 1966 season, though, the inaugural Super Bowl, and it wasn't even called the Super Bowl, as you know, back then, they hadn't coined a term for it quite yet. The Chiefs in the 1966 season, they were 11-2-1. So they won the AFL Western Division, and they defeated the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game on January 1st, 1967. By you, mean score the, you, you, of, you mean the AFL Championship game? Yes, it was the AFL championship game by a score of 31 to 7. And it was their first AFL championship in Kansas City. Now, they, the team that used to be known as the Dallas Texans, owned by Lamar Hunt, they moved to Kansas City. They won actually a title as the Dallas Texans, an AFL title, in 1962. 
And again, this was their third and final season in 1962 in Dallas and before they moved to Kansas City. Uh, A couple other notes about that 1966 team. So again, they were 11, 2, and 1, and their offense was the key. So looked it up. They um, scored a division-high 448 points. So they had a prolific offense. Again, this was in 14 games, too, by the way. And there was 113 more points than the next division, <laughs> the next team in the division, uh, which was San Diego. And they allowed only 276 points. Again, this was a 14-game schedule. They were the AFL team, and they met the vaunted Packers. So they were the underdog. Most observers, or most in the in the league, both leagues thought the Packers were the dominant team because they were the NFL team. So, and sure enough, the Packers, it was close in the first half. It was 14 to 10 at halftime, but the Packers poured it on and they ended up winning, of course, 35 to 10. And, uh, but really what said the the number of things happened in this game, we've talked about it, but the one thing that jumped out at me as I was kind of rereading this. So the Packers defense held the Kansas city offense in the third quarter to 12 yards. So that was really Probably you know one of the turning points in the game. Packers turned it on, 35-10 victory. You said if you're a Kansas City fan, so 1969 season, you were redeemed. You did beat the Vikings um, as underdogs even then, but you came out and you're you're back again for the next you know coming up. We'll see uh, for the fourth fourth Super Bowl appearance, uh, or excuse me, third Super Bowl appearance in the last four years. So that is really something. So we'll we'll see how this one pans out, gentlemen. And like we said, next week, we'll give our preview of Super Bowl 57 between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. And in, you know, paying deference to the fair play doctrine, I guess we'll uh, bring in some Philly fans next week as well, Neil, and and, uh, see if you can give them a hard time uh, for that. (laughs) Otherwise, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I don't think so. I I enjoyed uh, having Charles on, uh, his perspective. I know we kind of mentioned this during the, uh, but, you know, just losing you know having the huge gap between super bowls and things like that makes winning just that much sweeter i think the amazing thing about the super bowl is how much it has grown and the fact that you look at the photo that we've gotten the the bleachers are empty back behind the the goal line and and this is something the game didn't sell out it wasn't even close to a sellout in that first game jeff's talked about it before and to think that this is what would become the primary sporting event in the United States and the one that really has the most reach in the entire world. So um, really incredible to see this photo and how striking it is and how, you know, imagine a mostly empty end zone in the upcoming Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, the, the humble beginnings, as it were. Yeah. And like I said before, it wasn't even called the Super Bowl back then. And, and many have have credited Lamar Hunt, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs owner, with Pointing the term the Super Bowl, so you know he's he's uh, he had a lot of influence certainly on the league as the AFL um, and Kansas City, you know, showed up in the '60s and and um, you know continue and they're having success uh, back again 50 years later. All right, well, we're going to get our our flags on and get ready for the uh, games that we get to watch this weekend. You know, flag football, Neil, <laughs> right? And uh, Uh, Like I said, we'll talk more about the Super Bowl (laughs) next week. All right. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit subscribe, leave a comment, 
You can also find the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat. That's all one word on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. And on Facebook at the GBC podcast, Green Bay Chat. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.